is an earth trying to turn it into all matters and everything. In other words, submissive seems to be accepting of instruction and direction. In other words, Christians who know their job, whatever that job is, need to display an attitude of teachableness. There is nothing worse than trying to work with somebody in a workplace who is not teachable and thinks they know everything. That is not a biblically sound attitude for all of Jesus. This is something to be pleasing. That is something to work in such a way that they are, that they exceed all of the expectations of those who are going over them. In other words, if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, you should be among the very best employees where you work. You should be characterized by the fact that you regularly surpass the expectations that other people have for your position. He says, you shouldn't be argumentative. Now, what does that mean? Well, it turns out that in modern workplace, a lot of times, the person who uses sarcasm or muttered uh, remarks underneath their breath, underneath their breath, or the other rebellious heart. When the boss gives instruction and you mutter to yourself, but as he's turning away and walk away, you mutter to yourself, you make a joke to co-workers that shows a disrespect and a kind of a sarcastic rebelliousness. Also, it seems to not have that characteristic about the way they do their job. First of all, not stealing. That's not a problem. Well, statistics tell us actually it is. Any fact is common in the modern workplace, but it is not acceptable for those who are in Christ. The problem is, we become so used to things, we justify taking all kinds of things from our workplace because, well, we do extra stuff. Well, I work harder than anybody else around here. So if I take some office supplies, or if I take some building materials, they're probably not going to be used. They're just laying around. That's not right. That's not who we are. You know what stealing things that don't belong to you? Do you know what that says? It says God is not good enough to give me what I need to get into my life. I have to take matters in my own hands. It's just, it's just some emptiness. It's just some office supplies. It's no big deal. We waste so much of that stuff around here. I, I got it. And guess what? Out here. You come here and waste all kinds of office supplies. That's the problem with those people who run your office. They do them paper. That's not who they are. He says, I want you to teach you this phrase that they don't. That they don't justify their abuses by getting back and taking things that they quote deserve. It's not appropriate for us. He says, let them instead show all the things so that they will enjoy the doctrine of God's faith in every respect. Think about that. They should demonstrate faithfulness. They should earn trust because their lives are reflections of the people of what God is like. You and I are display cases. We put Jesus on display, and we either do a great job of it, or we do a sorry job of it. Our goal is to do a great job. 
to live on in such a way that Jesus is going to life. Now that's the authenticity of a follower. And that's what it looks like for a Christian who is out in the world and, and impacting the right people because he lives, he's careful to live his day by according to uh, what Jesus would put now. This is what we're going to do with this Verse 11, the announcement of salvation. This is where Paul begins to give Titus the theological basis, the place that we stand, that becomes our, our security and for all the things that we believe in this time. In verse 11, it says, So the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. The word appeared means that the grace of God breaks in upon our moral darkness, sort of like the rising sun extinguishing the night sky. It's the image of grace sort of dominating on us. And that makes me weird and confusing about it. My king salvation, my king Christ. I knew a lot about churches where I had read the Bible and grew up in a Christian home, but there was a moment in time when I looked at when I embraced John one day. The sunlight sort of broke through the darkness. This is the story of a saint all over the Bible. I mean, quickly, think about this. And the Adam and Eve were alive, but they really didn't know any other thing until they did sin. And when Jesus comes, when, when God comes in the cool of the evening, that's what Adam and Eve are doing. The kind of garden is they're not sure exactly what's happening, but they know something is different. It's not like today, it's not like yesterday. And they're kind of because, because they've done something, they know they've broken uh, an instruction that God left with them. And they're concerned about how God's going to react. And when God comes, he says, What are you? And they find it within themselves, scared to death. God says, Let me tell you, I have a new life for you. And let me promise you a way to take care of the brokenness, the sin, the history, and the human nature. Think about Abraham. Abraham was a businessman in a pagan culture that God that he had never met shows up and presents himself and tells Abraham that he will follow me. I will allow you to give you a family. I'll turn your family into a nation, and the nation that comes from your family will be the means by which all the nations on the earth will eventually uh, experience redemption and be blessed. Abraham was just going about his business trying to figure life out. And grace dawned on him. Moses was on the backside of the desert, and he was just standing cheap, wondering why his life had started so promisingly and ended up in the middle of nowhere. And what was going to happen to him? And then he saw a bush. The bush was on fire, but it wasn't being burned up. As he approached the bush, looking out of curiosity, a voice was heard to say, Moses, take off his hand on the earth, the ground that you're standing on is holy. He didn't get up that morning knowing that his life was going to change. Grace dawned on him. He said, What is your name, Lord? And, he, and, and the revelation was, My name is I Am. And everything is different now. We can go all the way through the Bible. We can talk about Samuel. That's why his mother should be raised in the temple and serve God. Young Samuel laying on the bed one night, hearing his name called out, finally instructed to say, Here, my Lord. Samuel became one of the great underrated heroes in the entire Old Testament. Isaiah, 
a prophet who moved in the whole of power. So many prophets lived out with the people. They lived in the rural areas. Isaiah lived in the palace. He was used to king and the heads of the state. He was comfortable in the home room. He was the, the prophet who, who, uh, who had royal blood. And, and he was at ease with those leaders and shakers of his day. But he tells us in Isaiah chapter 6 that King Uzziah was dead. Isaiah's not sure what the future holds. He's so bold when you realize that kings for all their so called glory may die just like any of And In that moment, when Isaiah wasn't sure about how the world was going to unfold next, God gave him a vision. For the first time in his life, he saw a king filled with glory that would never die. What did he do? Friends, go on with him that day. On his face in worship, but also in terror. And the man left me in this, and I read a lot of people left me in this, and God reached over and, and, and instructed for burning coals to be brought. It's a, it's a sign of purification. Grace dawned on Isaiah. He had been brought to Paul. He was a Pharisee. He thought he was a good king of God. His great effort was to eliminate those people who were following this guy, Jesus. Jesus is dead. The movement needs to be dead. He was pulling people out of their homes and arresting them. He got favors to expand beyond the city of Jerusalem. He was on his way to the city of Damascus. He had some intel that there were some believers that had, had, had escaped to Damascus and he was going to get them to arrest them, to bring them back so they could be punished. And while he was on his way there, blinded by a bright light, he heard a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why do you want to keep me? And he realized for the first time in his life that this Jesus was not dead, he was not buried, his body hadn't been stolen away, he was alive, and he was there confronting Paul. And in that moment, Paul was straight forward, grace dawned upon him. Thank you. 
the
for the confident expectation and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. In other words, we can face whatever we have to face because there is an unshakable reality that we hold on to, which is that Jesus Christ is coming back someday. Now, when he came the first time, he sort of slipped in a very kind of under uh, the radar. When he was born as a baby in the backyard of town called Bethlehem, he, he was born in the stable. He was put, uh, he was put to sleep in a feeding trough. The only people who were there that night were, of course, countless numbers of angels. But uh, there might have been any people that just checked on this woman and got that baby. There was his parents, and, and there were shepherds. Shepherds, literally the lowest possible level of society. That's how you the first time. That's how it comes the second time. When it comes the second time, he's going to come as king. And I tell you this, I promise you this. When it comes the second time, there will be no mistaking who he is. Somebody's going to say, oh, look, it's Muhammad. Oh, look, it's Buddha. Oh, look, it's Jiva. No, it doesn't matter what chosen they had to Jesus. They're going to recognize that this is Jesus. It's going to be unmistakable. When the church was open and Jesus comes back, dressed as a conquering hero, he will present himself and the whole world will acknowledge him. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, the reason Paul puts this in this passage of Christ is because he wants to understand, listen, you're on the island of Crete, and it's a difficult ministry. The people there are, are, are hard to reach. I need you to strengthen the churches. I need you to do leadership. I need you to train the people how to relate to each other inside the church, how to remember Christ outside the church. But I want them to understand that what allows them to swing up train in a culture where all the dead things are floating downstream, the thing that allows us to say about what's true, even when the culture says it's not, is that we have this confident expectation that Jesus is coming back. When he comes back, it's over. When he comes back, the reality is at that point, we will see the culmination of our salvation. We will see the completion of our transformation. We will see the elimination of our sin. We will see the cure for our suffering. We will know that justice has been made final and true. Jesus will be here in all of his glory, and we will live with that certain expectation every day. So we have a culture that tells us that Christianity is the problem of Christianity. They're judgmental, they're fainted, they're fakers. That's the problem. We need to get rid of Christianity. Don't you swallow that line. It may be hard to live with Christ in a generation that rejects everything from God's Word and, and, and all that's true. But let me tell you something. The foundation on which we stand is it's, it's okay for us to swim against the tide of this generation because we have the certainty that Jesus is coming back with his glory. Victory is on his side. We must not give in. Living for Christ in this age, no matter how hard it may feel, 
designed to go preaching is because he explains the word of God has been spoken and used to exhort him to rebuke for 22 years. We are people standing on the word of God. We have background in the Presbyterian theologians. One of his journal articles, he wrote these words about this business of preaching authority. He says, preaching that does not display the mind of authority, both in its content and in its manner, is not the substance, but only the shadow of the real thing. And the Bible is the real preacher. And the role of the man in the pulpit is simply to let the pastors say their piece through him. The pastor reaches a point where he no longer hinders or obstructs his text from speaking. It's hard work to be sometimes realized. Or the victim becomes human, but this is the past. Now, I'll tell you that sometimes I go home on Sunday afternoon. And I'm just beside myself. Because I feel like I've got to wait for the text. My job is to not put myself on display. That's all I'm talking about in my imagination. But he's telling Christ, we're all sometimes with this. He's not giving him carte blanche authority to rule the people and to run their lives. He's saying, I hear the word of God, common sense, encourage them with the word of God, exhort them with the word of God. When necessary, rebuke them or correct them through the word of God. Don't let anyone disregard that word that you bring. They can put it out to something like this. And I'll have to go out and check. Should I say something not biblical? And if so, then I need to be humble enough to correct that. Bible is authoritative and trustworthy guidelines for life. 
We have salvation. We have grace. We have the promise of the return of Christ. We have effective redemption. And we have a true Bible. Why would we not attempt great things for God? There is nothing standing between us and greatness. It's a common willingness to lost things. If you are Jesus Christ, everything that you see in perfect form is pointing in that direction. For those who paint a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus by the baptism, they have told you that they have been born again. They've been made new. All our worship talks about how there's there, there, there's no demon in hell that can stand against God and our Savior. There's nothing in this culture that ultimately is going to win. You need to decide which side is going to be that you're going to stand on. We love the invitation of Jesus. Our pastors are going to be here with us. We come along. So we'd like to give you the opportunity to come and speak to one of our pastors. They'll probably make an appointment with you or they'll give you your coffee and things and sit down and talk to you about what this life looks like. And we'd love to do that. And come find out what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe you're already a Jesus follower, but you're not in a church that fills you up, that, that gives you a, a, a refuge from the culture. And you may like it us. We're not in the building churches, we're in the building building the kingdom. And God builds the kingdom by building the people. He puts people together. And this is the place where we're preserving things that have never been here when they're on our own. We'd love to share with you how you can be a part of this church and what that looks like. And if you're a believer and you've been around church for a while, well, honestly, you're wondering if really you had it in you to, to come back to the beginning. Come on, sir. Let's pray with you. See, the great news of the gospel is one of our goals. The gospel saves you once, but it washes you clean every time you ask for it. The son, the prodigal son, who was in the pit there in Luke chapter 15, guess what? Even though he was covered with mud and mud, he was still a son. All the people saw him. They saw him with somebody who was saved. And the child was gone. He'd been over in the mud and mud for a while. What did Jesus do? Jesus was at home. Father, come into this place heavy. We've already experienced you. We've already seen your work. We've already heard testimonies from you. We've seen your word. Lord, in this moment, just compel us to your spirit. To humble ourselves. To present ourselves before your throne. Where we will not receive souls in your name. And punishment. But where we will receive grace. Mercy and be washed clean. Father, in this moment, as you were the place filled with your glory is well heard in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.